Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Good morning to all of you watching in the North and to all the Americans. Like I say, every year watching online, yes, it's Thanksgiving up here. They're always confused. I get emails. What are you talking about? It's okay. We do it on the right day. You don't. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving uh, to all of you. Welcome to week three in our series on the Holy Spirit, and we have so much to learn and so much to understand. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before. I've shared this a few times. Have you ever had a dream where you absolutely believe it's real, and then you wake up and you keep thinking it's real until you realize it's not? Uh, Maybe you're a married person, you have a great friendship, and you get in a terrible argument with uh, your spouse in your dream, and you wake up and you are so angry at them, and they have no clue what's going on. A few years ago, I had a dream, I think I shared this, where I was dreaming that I had not finished my high school education, and I was in a terrible panic because I had to finish grade 12 math, which by the way, I never took in high school. And in my dream, I was panicking. I was trying to study and prep and I went in and I failed. And I woke up in a complete sweat thinking I had to go to Pickering High School. This was two years ago. I had to go to Pickering High School and recover. And then I realized, of course, that it was probably the cray-cray medicine I took the night before. It's so important to understand this because many of us have had the experience of dropping in a dream or feeling something in a dream and then waking up, feeling it's true, thinking it's true, and then realizing it is not true at all. That was not reality, though it felt fully like reality, and when we woke up, we move into reality. That is the image I want us to keep this morning at the center of when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Many of us have an understanding or no understanding of the Holy Spirit in what I'm going to speak about today. And many of us need to be called into this new reality, into this new place where we wake up into what God's expectations and God's reality actually is. No matter what we have felt historically was reality or what God did experience. Now for two weeks in this series, we've learned so many amazing things about the Holy Spirit. We have seen and heard and experienced the grace and the power and the movement of God given by, sustained through, and worked out in the Holy Spirit. We found out that the Holy Spirit, of course, is not the force. This isn't Star Wars. He's God. He is the one that convicts us of our sin. He actually shows us the bad news before the good news. He is the one that shows us that we were enemies of God and sinners and broken. He shows us the complete desperation of our situation. And then in that same moment, he reveals God's answer to our brokenness. And he reveals who Jesus truly is, Savior and Lord and God in flesh, the love of God expressed to us. We found out that without the Holy Spirit, we would not know we were in sin. We found out without the Holy Spirit, we would never truly understand Jesus. But not only that, we found out the Holy Spirit is the one that actually brings Jesus' work and presence actually into our life. He walks us over the threshold of faith. He's the one who makes us born again. He's the one who gives us the ability called faith even to consider the situation. And he is the one that ultimately, if you become a Christian, literally possesses you and you become his temple. 
He is called our seal, our great mortgage payment, our deposit, our future guarantee of eternal life. We found out he's called our advocate, our helper. He's our prayer warrior, our intercessor at this very moment. He helps us shoulder the pressures of life. Jesus called him another friend just like himself. And Jesus said that he, the Holy Spirit, would be the one that brings him, Jesus, into our life because the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. He is the one that connects us to every Christian on earth at this moment. He is the one that connects us to every single person who's already in the presence of Jesus. Like I preached a few weeks ago, death itself does not only does not have the final say with us. At this moment, death, though it divides the church, it truly doesn't because the Holy Spirit unites us into one body found on earth and in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the glue and he's the lifeblood of the church. He's called the spirit of truth because he's the author of scripture. He leads us to, he speaks to us through, and he forms us by his book called the scriptures, the Bible. The Holy Spirit begins to change over time what we love. He challenges and he changes our natural fondness, what we care about, what we warm up to, what we're naturally friendly with. That is why he's called the spirit of holiness and the spirit of life. And he gives us the power to actually say no to sin. He gives us the ability to walk away from sin. He invites us to actually live like Jesus. Jesus who actually walked under God the Father's will, had God the Father's desires, and reflected God the Father's character. Now today we need to move to another critical aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. Not his work in salvation, not his work in history, not his self-identification, something more significant at this moment for us. We need to stop as a congregation and ask the question, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up in his power? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit empowers a person or a church to serve, to make the impossible become possible? How does actually Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer, get answered? Your kingdom come, your reign and your rule, God, come down here in my marriage. Your reign and rule down in my neighborhood, in my school, on my street, as it already is in heaven. Remember the promise of Jesus before he left to heaven, found in the books of Acts, verse one, chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit lightens upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus promised we'd be clothed with a power that is not our own. Now, when I was preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit a few years ago, and I'm going to be very upfront about this, much of what I'm about to preach, many of you have heard before. And so before you get out and start ignoring what I'm preaching, I remind you, vision leaks and distraction is deadly. All of us must continually come back to this conversation. And I started a sermon a few years ago like this. I said, I really wanted to understand about the power of the Holy Spirit. In junior high, when I had committed my life fully to Jesus, got baptized, and in grade 8, committed to Jesus to becoming one of his leaders and his pastors, I went to my good youth pastor and I said, where is all the stuff? And he said, John, what stuff? And I said, all the stuff I read about in the New Testament, the miracles and the power and the mass conversions. I love our church and I love Jesus and I'm so glad I'm here, but why does our church not look like what I read? And why does my life not look like that? And my youth pastor said, well, John, Jesus was God. You're not God. 
Jesus was God and our church is not God, so you need to adjust your expectations because your expectations are wrong. You're living in a dream world. Have you ever heard this if you've grown up in church? Jesus is like the sun, full of light and heat and power, and we are the moon. And our only responsibility is not to be the light or the heat or the sun, but we are merely like the moon to reflect the light. Well, that is how I grew up for years and years and living a normal Christian life like many of you, if you've grown up at the church, did. But as I began to read the scriptures more carefully, as I read church history more, as I walked closer with Jesus, though I appreciate what my youth pastor said, in this case, he was wrong. See, we are not the moon as the church because the scriptures are clear that the Son of God who brings heat and light and power does not just merely tell us to reflect him, he places the same fire that was in him in us, and we become, like him, bearers of light and heat. So the question I began to wrestle with is, okay, if I'm not just to reflect him, but walk like him with his same power, what does this mean? What are the right expectations, and what are the wrong expectations? See, this was God's plan all along, not just to be saved by Jesus and wait for Jesus and wait for the new heavens and the new earth, but to imitate Jesus in this time, in this place, under the power that overshadowed him. See, to understand what a normal Christian life, let alone a whole church, looks like under the power of the Holy Spirit, you must begin to understand that Jesus is not just our Savior, he is not just our Lord, He actually chose to be a model for us to understand what it looks like and to become like him. I've preached this so many times before, forgive me, but I will keep doing it. Jesus had some very interesting things to say in the book of John. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also He says later in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do greater things than these because I'm actually going to the Father. So Jesus comes along and he says these words, I do nothing at all except what I see God the Father doing. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And I began to ask the question in my journey, well, how did Jesus hear what he was called to do? And how did he see what God the Father was up to? And why in the world would Jesus start saying these things when Jesus is equal to the Father because Jesus is God himself? And then like I just read, then Jesus comes along to broken people like Peter and John and Thomas and Matthew and you and us and says, and oh, by the way, If you have faith in me, that is, you are saved, you will end up doing the same things I am doing. And then he throws this out. Oh, and by the way, greater things than me. So what in the world does all of this mean? Well, to understand the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to understand the invitation into the movement of the Holy Spirit, we can never start with the Holy Spirit. We must start with the Father and Jesus the Son. Because when we understand them and how they function, then we will see what God is inviting us into. You got a Bible this morning? Would you turn to Philippians? And if you don't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. I've preached this again before. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul inserts a hymn, a song sung in the original churches 2,000 years ago right into the scriptures. And it is a hymn about Jesus himself. 
And it reads like this, Jesus being in the very nature God, Philippians 2.6, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now these words are groundbreaking. They are shocking because they are being authored and repeated by an Orthodox Jew. Paul starts by saying that Jesus existed before he was born, the manger. Christ's preexistence was real, and he says that Jesus was the form, the very nature of God, which, by the way, is an implicit way of saying that Jesus is God. You cannot have the nature of God and not be God, for there is only one in the universe that has that nature and that DNA, for there is only one God. So if you share the nature of God, you are not just hanging out with God, you are him. And this isn't just saying Jesus was sort of like God. No, no. This is saying that Jesus from Nazareth, walking around 2,000 years ago at 33 years old, is Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah, found in flesh. So Paul utters these five groundbreaking words, and then he says, in the same breath, which confused me for years and years, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Jesus is God, and then he doesn't consider equality. And I went, what in the world is going on? Now, this is key right now to understanding Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and his invitation for us to walk in unnatural power. This is saying that Jesus, though he was fully God, chose not to grasp, be selfish, hold on to, use the privilege of who he was. He never stopped being God. He never became something else other than God, but he did not use his godness. He did not take advantage of it. Eugene Peterson, the message again, got this so right when he wrote, Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself. He had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So the question I began to ask is, well, how did he do this? And it says in the very next verse, these words, he made himself nothing. He he took on the very nature of a slave. He found himself in human likeness, in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it says that God took on flesh, the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas. He lived a perfect life. He did amazing ministry. He taught new things. He clarified the Old Testament. He loved the unlovely. He rebuked the religious leaders. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He actually cast out demons with a word. And he walked with the Father without conflict. He died a perfect death that we deserved. And then he physically rose from the dead three days later. And the point of Paul is that Jesus' life is marked with humility and servanthood, even though he never stopped being God. And then it says in verse 9, this amazing, amazing passage, Therefore God the Father exalted him to the highest place, gave Jesus the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we always say loudly what? Amen. Okay. You have Jesus in his full experience, his pre-existence, his incarnation, his death on a cross, his ascension into heaven, and his forever exaltation. But to understand the Holy Spirit's role in Jesus' life and in your life, the question that I began to deeply wrestle with, and I want to again engage our whole church in this, and I want to say this, this is core to the DNA of our church. This is a unity issue. This is an empowerment issue. I mean, C4 lands here. 
The question I begin to ask is this. How did Jesus not cling to his godness? How did Jesus not use his divinity between his birth at Christmas and Good Friday? What in the world happened there, if anything? And only when you pair Philippians that gives us up here with the Gospels that give us down here does the story become complete and it begins to have direct implications on how we think, how we act, and how we live. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Luke 3. Jesus is about to be baptized by his cousin, John. It says that in Luke 3, 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven and he said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So heaven is open up right when Jesus comes out of the water. It says the heavens rip open and heaven answers what's happening down here. It's actually a fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah spoke 740 years earlier. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and you would come down. Well, out of the torn heavens, it says that the Spirit descended on Jesus in the bodily form like a dove. Now, if you've been with us in the last three weeks, this should make all sorts of connections with you. Remember, the Holy Spirit actually hovered like a bird over creation at the beginning, Genesis 1-2. The dove over the judgment waters of Noah. See, just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Moses' tabernacle, just as the Holy Spirit was in that burning bush before Moses, just before the Holy Spirit came on Solomon's temple and then lightened on it and filled it, just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, which produced the virgin birth, now the Holy Spirit lightens, lands, rests on Jesus himself. See, God is doing a new creative thing. This is a new creation, a new exodus, a new temple. This is the ultimate fulfillment of what God has always planned to do. Now the Holy Spirit lands on Jesus for two reasons. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, lands on us for the same two reasons. It says, first of all, it says, a voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit is given and placed on Jesus to affirm his identity. Jesus is who he claims to be. He is Messiah, he is Christ, he is Lord, he is the forgiver of sins. See, without the Holy Spirit's affirmation, his miracles, teaching, death, and resurrection would not be validated. The Holy Spirit is the great identity giver. And so Jesus' life and ministry and name is validated. But second of all, and most important for us today and this year is this. The Holy Spirit was given to Jesus to lead Jesus and empower Jesus to do God the Father's will. As I've preached before, let me say it again for a third time. Think about this. In all of Jesus' life up to this point, he's now 30. He's never healed anyone. He's never cast out a demon. He's given no new teaching. At 12 years old, he was in the temple for a moment, blew the religious leaders away, but no one followed him. Yet right after the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, immediately Jesus' ministry started and we begin to see how Jesus walked with the Father and did the Father's will. The third person of the Trinity empowers the second who sent by the first. 
Now, let me say this again, and this always causes controversy. Without the power of the Spirit, because of Jesus' choice, Jesus would have not been able to bring any good news. This is how Jesus did not grasp the power of his deity. This is how he did ministry. This is how he only did what the Father wanted him to do. He only did ministry out of the power of the Holy Spirit exclusively, only, period. See, listen to what happens right after Jesus' baptism. Luke 4.1, Jesus, never stopped being God, by the way, now full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now, if you read Mark's account of this, the word led in Greek was the Holy Spirit impelled and forced and pushed Jesus into the desert. It says later, you can see it in Luke 4.14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news spread about him. So the question we all need to wrestle with is this. How did Jesus do all that crazy stuff we read about, but not use his godness and yet stopped, never stopped being God? How did he do the miracles and the healings? And, well, the answer is this. Jesus, being our model under the power of the Holy Spirit, used gifts of the Holy Spirit. He actually had spiritual gifts. He never stopped being God, but he chose not to cling to the advantage. He relied fully on what God told him to do and allowed the Holy Spirit to use him. Jesus had the gift of teaching. Jesus had the gift of miracles. Jesus had the gift of healing. Just to name a few, are you seeing the connection yet? If we as Christians have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had, and we have the same gifts as a church together that Jesus had, we can do the same things Jesus did, and oh, by the way, greater things, because when Jesus was around, there was only one of him, and now there are billions of us, right? Let me keep working this out. Ever notice that Jesus spent a lot of time by himself? Was he just a deep introvert? Possibly. But more was going on than when Jesus was hanging out. He just wasn't always sleeping or having a latte. No, no, something deeper was happening. Jesus, all through the Gospels, is perpetually saying, I need to go away from the crowds. I need to go away from the disciples. I need to be with my Father. I started asking myself the question, why was Jesus always running away from really good ministry situations? And then I realized when I looked at John what was happening. Jesus, because he was not choosing to cling to the advantage of deity, had chosen and had to go sit before the Father and listen to the Father and ask him what he was supposed to do next. Oh, you want me to go to a village and there's a short man named Zacchaeus in a tree? Thanks, Father. Next. See, this is the power of this. And so Jesus starts doing things called spiritual practices. Maybe you have call them holy habits or spiritual disciplines. They're the guaranteed place of power and encounter when walking with God. They set up and provide the environment to hear what you're called to do. Dallas Willard, that great leader, once said, My central claim is that we become like Jesus by doing one thing, following him in the overall lifestyle that he chose. And what activities did Jesus practice? Well, solitude, in silence, in prayer, in simple and sacrificial living, and in intense study, and meditation on God's word and God's ways and service to others. 
So spiritual disciplines is how Jesus walked with the Father and heard, and spiritual practices or disciplines are how we walk with the Father like Jesus did. They're the environment where the Holy Spirit encourages us and teaches us truth and makes us holy. But spiritual gifts aren't about walking, they're about serving. And that is why we continually say in this church that spiritual gifts are the only ongoing place of heaven-given power to see the kingdom of God shown up because they are actually given by the Holy Spirit himself. So let me summarize. Jesus is the pattern for us together as C4 Church and you personally. The Bible actually calls the church, us and every other church, the body of Christ. We are Jesus on earth. Everything he did, other than, of course, being God, speaking scriptures into existence, dying for the sins of the world, and being our high priest, we are invited and commanded to do as his representatives. Now watch this. If you are a person who's checking out faith, you're about to see the literal pattern of what someone goes through when they become a Christian. And if you are a Christian, I'm going to show you that Jesus' literal walk with the Father is what you have and are experiencing Our life follows the exact trajectory of Jesus. The very first thing that happens when you became a Christian was this. You were baptized in the Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit isn't a secondary thing you pray and hope for. No, that's called filling. It can happen a thousand times. But right when you said yes to Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jew, Greek, slave, or free, we're all given the one Spirit to drink. Now watch this. Right when you became a Christian at 3, at 5, at 12, at 20, at 80, no matter your age, the very first thing that happened is the Holy Spirit came inside of you and told you that Jesus loved you, the Father had called you, and what? You were a child of God. Your identity was given. But at that moment also, when you were plunged into the Spirit, you were also set up and empowered to keep that kingdom moving forward. Just as Jesus' ministry started the moment the Spirit came on him, it happened with us. So we are all baptized in the Spirit. Second, we are called to be filled over our lifetime. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. It is continuous. Hundreds of examples, small and large, over a lifetime. We are called to be perpetually filled by the Holy Spirit. Third, we are called to actually ask God to produce the same character that Jesus had. And what does Paul say the character of Jesus is called? He calls it the fruit of what? The Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your character is love and it's joy and it's peace and it's patience and it's kindness and it's goodness and it's faithfulness and it's gentleness and it's self-control. Isn't that a great description of Jesus right there, isn't it? And we are actually told that the same spirit that rested on Jesus rests on us, and so we can look like Jesus in our character. We're baptized in the spirit, we're called and invited to be filled by the spirit, we're allowed to ask for the character of Jesus through the spirit, and then, fourthly, we are to ask God to produce the same power in us, and that is called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is how we as normal, broken, everyday Christians release the power of God into a dark world. We together as a church will have all the gifts, yet personally we may have one or some. 
But we can never say ever again, well, Jesus did that because he was God and we're not God, so we need to adjust our expectations. No, we need to get out of that dream world, stop saying we're the moon, realize the sun is literally living in us, there is living fire in us, and we are called to walk like Jesus did because the Spirit of God has already said, you are my child, you get to call God Abba Father, I have gifted you with character, I have given you at least one gift, let's go change the world. Let me say this again. Jesus laid aside the privilege of deity, was filled with the Spirit, and did the will of the Father. We were baptized in the Spirit. And, and here's the big if and when, and when we know our spiritual gifts, they're supported by the character of the Spirit, the impossible becomes possible. Now, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were found in the first century are available and are very necessary for mission today. But what we always learn in this church as we walk through this is that the Spirit of God is the one who gives them to us. But as I began this journey and have walked on this journey with many of you sitting in this room, many of you in the north, what I began to realize is many of us have actually misunderstood where the power of God is. When I would interview people for jobs or I would sit with pastors and leaders and I'd ask them because in my view, spiritual gifts are such a priority. What are your spiritual gifts? People would say, well, I love children. I'm like, I'm so glad you do, but that's not a spiritual gift. Or I love playing a guitar. I'm really glad you do, but that's not a spiritual gift. See, what people begin to do is they begin to mix up natural abilities and learned abilities with God-given abilities. Natural abilities are what you've got in your DNA. You may be naturally athletic. Obviously, I didn't get that DNA. You could be naturally this. Like, you just, some things you're just born with. You can learn things. You can learn how to be good at accounting or other, like, those things are great. Can they be used for the kingdom? Yes. Are they important? Yes. Are they guaranteed places of heaven-given power to change the, no. See, spiritual gifts are divine abilities to enable us to do the ministry of God. Jesus centered his ministry around hearing the Father, walking in the character of the Spirit, and using spiritual gifts. They're at the center of what Jesus did, and they should be the center of our ministry experience. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these work are all the one of the same Spirit, and he distributes them just as he determines. See, we don't choose our gifts. We don't go to the buffet of heaven and say, well, I'm really excited. No, no. He sovereignly assigns what part we're going to play. But not only does he sovereignly assign what part we're going to play, he also sovereignly assigns the length or the depth or the scope of it too. If you still got a Bible, I don't usually do this, would you turn to Romans 12? Because Romans 12 is this amazing passage where Paul outlines gifts after he's talked about the great mercy of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he really gets to brass tacks. He really brings this home and he helps us understand a few things. He sets expectation. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, so see for all of you, listen up, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Now that phrase, the first one, the measure of faith God has given you has two meanings. The first one is this. There is no room for arrogance in the church. 
See, God is the author of our faith. Jesus is the author of our salvation. There's a level foot at the cross. How we see ourselves must be through the mercy of God. If we're saved really by grace alone and faith alone through Jesus alone, how could we ever think that we're better than any other Christian because of our money? or clothing, or spiritual gifts, or the length or power we have of those, or natural or acquired skills, or maturity, or race, or education, fill in the blank. If salvation is 100% God, then humility is the only place we get to go. Anyone want to say amen to that? No, no. Anyone want to say amen to that? Yeah, that's huge. There's no room for arrogance in the church. And yet, Though there's a measure of faith given to us, Paul is talking about gifts here. So Paul says, and oh, by the way, you need to see each other through what gifts God has given. And oh, I just need to say right up front that they're sovereignly decided for you and they have different strengths and different authorities. So you might have the same gift as another person, but their gift actually, though it's the same gift, may have a lot more influence than yours. And like I preached a few years ago, do not spend your life trying to be something God has not made you to be. Do not want gifts not given to you by the Spirit. Don't spend your life trying to do a ministry or serve long-term in an area you're not gifted in, and the reverse is true. Do not expect others to be or become something God has not gifted them to be. You'll always end up angry, bitter. You'll actually start devouring the church You'll be burnt out because you keep trying to serve God in a place he didn't ask you to. Or you'll be disappointed because you thought it was one way and it's another. Or you'll be disappointed at others because you think that your gift orientation should be their gift orientation, but God hasn't gifted them this way. It's your view, not heaven's view. So he comes and says, look, this is, this is the secret sauce to moving the kingdom forward. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Jesus, though many, we form one body, and each body member belongs to the other. Out of God's unity in Jesus, there is a diversity, and the diversity is not independence or dependence, but interdependence. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. Serve, then serve. Teach, then teach. Encourage, then encouragement. If it's giving, oh, give generously. If it's leading, you do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, this is not the exhausted lifts of all the gifts, and we're not doing all that today. Here's what I want to say, though. The point, let me preach it again and again and again. If you want to see the kingdom of God come on earth, if you want to see darkness push back, If you want to see all we do as a church, personally and in our programs, have purpose, but not just purpose, but eternal impact, if you want to, with authority, speak into a post-Christian, growing confused, and hostile culture, if you want to reverse the trend of churches dying and becoming museums and reflections of what used to be in the good old days, then the church has to make a decision to walk like Jesus and walk personally and corporately in the places of supernatural, guaranteed, heaven-breathed power because that's how Jesus did it in his culture and that's how every church in every culture is supposed to do it too. Let me recap it this way. We have the same access to the Father that Jesus did because of Jesus. And we have the same Holy Spirit living in each one of us, if you're a Christian, as Jesus had. 
We have the same power that Jesus had. We have the same character offered to us that Jesus had. We have the same gifts he used. And we have the same practices offered to us so we can walk with him. If spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power and spiritual practices is the guaranteed place of transformation, then what in the world would be stopping a church from changing the world? Well, like I started with my message, many of us just don't believe it's true. Just don't believe it. It's too good to be true. Other of us really don't believe what I just preached is what the scriptures say, but it is. And the question on this Thanksgiving weekend is this. For some of us, this is a brand new conversation. For many of us, you're like, John, John, thanks again. Heard all this, thinking about the turkey. No, no. We have, some, we have to have some conversation mid-journey. We're a quarter of the way towards what God has called us to do. Mid-journey, we always have to stop as a family and say, okay, just because I know something doesn't mean I'm following through with it. So what would the Holy Spirit, this Thanksgiving weekend, in the middle of this journey, say to us as a church, church here? What is he saying to all of you gathered in the north? What is he going to say in the next service? What is he saying to now over 2,000 people who make it? Okay, number one, first and foremost, we are called regularly to ask the Holy Spirit to produce the impossible in us. And the impossible is not miracles and deliverances and healings and visions from Jesus. The impossible is a changed character. Galatians 5, the fruit, the evidence, the ever-growing presence of the Spirit is agape love. Read 1 Corinthians 13. It's joy, it's peace. It's a patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's meekness, it's self-control. So easy to say. But the very first thing that we're being invited to do as a church is to stop and say, okay, mid-journey, what Holy Spirit do you need to, because I can't just pull up my bootstraps and do this, but you ask me and invite me to walk like Jesus. What do you need to do in me? So let's just do something for a moment. Let's take a moment of silence. You're pretty quiet already today, so that's easy. All of you in the north too. Let's stop. Holy moment, genuine. Holy Spirit, you're here. If all of I've just preached is true, there's a lot on the table and a lot at stake. Holy Spirit, would you now speak to every person within the sound of my voice? And would you actually personally tell us what you want to grow in us out of this list? So would you all take a moment in your heart or out loud and say, Holy Spirit, which fruit? And just wait. Okay, Father and Son and Spirit, a lot of us just heard one or two. So here's our simple prayer. Since you just spoke to us literally and told us what you want us to grow in, Holy Spirit, begin to grow that in our church and in our lives. Could everyone say amen to that? Okay. Here's the second thing I just want to say. Jesus walked in spiritual practices to hear what the Father wanted him to do. 
By the way, spiritual practices is where we are transformed, where we find depth. It's where we learn to hear God's voice. It's where we're challenged. Remember, practices are done personally and communally. It's where we walk in deeper places. And notice, all the practices are open to all of us. Each Christian can and is invited into a practice over their lifetime to become like Jesus. And let me say this for the fourth time. They are guaranteed places of encounter between us and God after we've met Jesus. The Holy Spirit promises to fill those moments like he did with Jesus. And that is why he's called the Spirit of Christ. Now, we have a whole sermon series on the spiritual practices, and we'll get them to your connect groups this week. But I just want to read a list to you again. Everyone ready? Simplicity. Living with less for God's purposes. Or, or confession. Telling your sins to others. Worship like this. Making church a priority. Or, or prayer. Or fasting. Or chastity or serving, or solitude, or silence, or fellowship with a group of Christians, or study, just to name a few. Remember, if Jesus rooted his whole ministry with the Father out of moments like these, how could we ever believe that we're going to change the world? How could we ever believe we're going to become like Jesus? How could we ever believe our church will be continually transformed if this is not a priority? Now, I'm not saying we have to do all of these, but could we stop again? Could we just stop and take again another moment of silence? Holy Spirit, is there a discipline you're asking me or us to do? Would you pray that in your heart? Okay, our prayer is this. Holy Spirit, would you begin to teach us how to do that? And could everyone say amen to that? Amen. Some of you are like, man, I got fasting and I've got turkey next. What do I do? Good luck. Okay. Third and finally is this. We're called to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit by using the gifts of the Spirit. I know I bang this drum all the time, but I need to say Jesus laid aside the privilege of deity and was filled by the Holy Spirit and did the will of God the Father. And this is how he changed the world. He actually was baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, knew his gifts, and he used them. Now, again, you all know this, or most of you. We have a whole sermon series on this, and if you're new here, we're going to get that to you this week. You can go back and listen and begin the very exciting and difficult exploration. Spirit of God, God, what gifts have you given me? But for us who are mid-journey, we have two new questions to ask, and here they are. Number one, are you distracted? So we've talked about this in our church has literally changed since this series happened in 2011 in all sorts of ways. But let me ask you again a very candid question. If you're a Christian here this morning, are you not serving in your spiritual gifts? Are you still running from your gifts? Or are they no longer a priority in your serving life, but they used to be? Then at this moment, I need to stop you on Thanksgiving and say, stop. And deal with this. Because if God throughout eternity decided in his sovereignty to gift you in one or more areas and you are distracted or not walking in those areas, then the heaven-given ability and power, his desire for greater work is not being accomplished because you're deciding that other places are more important or are safer or fill in the blank. So are you distracted? Then we got to pray about that today. This is the more important one that I'm about to say. 
for us who have been trying to understand this and work this out and do this right, do some of you need to give your gift or gifts back and rededicate them to God's glory? Has your area of giftedness become a source of pride for you? Arrogance. Have you started violating Romans 12 and you're thinking more highly than you ought to because of your experiences or your thoughts? Or maybe, I think for many of us, this is probably the real prayer, that we need to come before God and we need to ask him for a a fresh outpouring of his power in the area of giftedness we've been equipped with. Anyone say amen to that? There needs to be a greater outpouring of his spirit. So we're going to pray about that in a moment, but let me just end by saying this. The gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, and the spiritual practices is the trinity that makes a local church hum like heaven sings. They are necessary for effective ministry, and they are the way the world is changed. It goes beyond the emotional preaching of a moment or a really good worship service. This is the design of God. Jesus, who is God, came not only to die for the sins of the world and to become our Savior and our leader and our Lord and our high priest and our forever king, he also came to model for us what this should look like. And so would you stand with me as we prepare prepare to pray? And here at all our sites, I just want to mention this, after we're done responding in song, uh, the hosts at each site are going to give us a way that we can actually respond today to this cry, which actually will turn out to be an artistic rendering of our prayers together. But let's pray this together, would you? Uh, God, uh, thank you for all of this, but so much to be worked out. And some of us are just sitting here going, honestly, honestly, uh, my gift orientation has become prideful or error. I just, I've sinned with my gift. Like Moses who had the staff, I ended up using it wrong. So Lord, would you forgive some of us? And if that's you, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. And just give it back to him. I give this stuff back to you. And for all of us who are Christians, if you do open your hands, very, just open them up before God. Would you do that? Just assemble and say to him, I want to see the world changed. I want to be faithful. I want to walk like Jesus did. And so I pray for fresh power, not only in my character and in my holy habits. I pray for a fresh anointing, a fresh power, a fresh outpouring in the way you've gifted me so we can keep going towards what you've asked us to do. Our Father who's in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.